thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a river bank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Listen to verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. I want to speak to you tonight from a Bible study titled, God Sees Everything. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for every testimony, God. Thank you for every unspoken testimony tonight with hearts that rejoice in the love that you have for us. God, we pray for Miss Irene, Lord. I pray you be her strength right now, God. You, you have shown yourself and have declared yourself to be a healer, God. So I thank you right now in advance for a good report for Miss Irene's health, Lord. I thank you for her faithfulness. I thank you for her love for you, God. I thank you for Idaris coming to her aid. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing forth in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray as you're bringing healing to her, God, that you would anoint our children's church workers to love on your children tonight. Anoint Deacon Keon as he teaches our youth tonight, God. And anoint my mouth that I would say things that would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God sees everything. Now we'll be having Christmas soon. I mean, you know, there's somebody tracking the days already. And then there's other people who don't do big Christmas, me, um, that don't care how many days it is to Christmas. But Christmas will be coming up soon. And y'all know me. I don't, y'all that know me know I don't do a big thing for Christmas. You know, I make it about Jesus and not about buying my kids a bunch of stuff that they don't need. So I, I tell you every year, don't go in debt over Christmas. But I'm not mad at Christmas. I love decorations. I love eggnog. Seth's looking for eggnog in the stores because Seth and I love to drink eggnog. And I, I love to see the lights. And we ride around. We do all that stuff. I'm not mad about Christmas. I, I'm not mad about decorations. It's just not my tradition. It's just not what I do personally um, as a Christian. Got no heartache against it, no heartburn for it, but except for the one song, I'm never going to preach against Santa. I see all these messages, how if you rearrange Santa, you get Satan, and all these preachers trying to bust on, you know, Christmas and hurt Christmas feelings. Uh, I'm never going to do that, but the one bad I got on Santa is that song they put on him. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Because Santa Claus is coming to town. Well, there is no Santa Claus. But there is somebody who is coming. And there is somebody who sees you when you're sleeping. And sees when you're awake. Now, the Bible says that the word is a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. And so you always have to remember this. This is the way you judge other people is the way you're going to be judged. 
If you're going to use this criteria for who's telling the truth, use it on both sides. That's what I try to tell my kids about this election, the ugliest election I've ever seen in 53 years of being on this planet. It's horrific what I'm seeing. And my kids came home and said, Dad, did you know this about Donald Trump? I said, boy, I told you your whole life, don't believe everything you read. I said, because the same people that will say that Donald Trump is a good guy because he does this will say that President Obama is a bad guy because he does the same thing. You got to judge equitably. You got to let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. You, you, can't, you can't play this game where the rules work on both sides for you and for what you pick. That's how, that's how lost people do things. Saved people have to be fair in all their dealings. Well, the word of God is fair, and it cuts both ways. So the fact that God sees everything should be both terrifying and very refreshing, depending on where you're at. If you're living right, you don't have to be one of those people. Nobody ever sees what I do for the Lord. Pastor, don't pat me on the back. Pastor, never been to my house. Pastor, don't call out me and say, I'm a good Christian. I give money, too. He never said, I give money. You don't, you don't have to be one of those people. You know God sees what you do. You know the scripture says that God is not unfaithful to forget your labor of love, and in all labor there is profit. God sees what you do. And the Bible also says that you get rewarded for it either here or there. You want patting on the back right now, you're missing, the, you're missing your reward in heaven. So it's refreshing and encouraging for the saint who's not being as recognized maybe as some other people are doing, but they're living right, they're living holy, they read their Bible every day, they bend their knees in prayer every day, they sing songs to God every day, they're faithful and honest and just in all their dealings, they pay their taxes without cheating, they, they love their spouse, they love their children, they love God, they fear the king and they honor the brotherhood, they're doing everything that God has told them to do. Everybody might not be seeing that, but if you know God sees, that is encouragement. Now, if you're one of these schemy folk who come to church but have false agenda, if you're one of these conniving folk that's living a duplicitous lifestyle, you put on the I'm blessed and highly favored routine when you come to church, but really you, you're just as greasy as the diesel mechanic at the truck stop. God knows that too. You can't fool God. What what grandmama say? You can fool some of the people some of the time. You can fool most, you can fool most people most of the time, some of the people some of the time, but what, you can't fool me? Oh, no, God, you can fool me too. You can't fool God or grandma. God sees. If you don't hear anything I say in the rest of tonight's Bible study, get this. God sees everything you do. Listen, good, bad, and indifferent. Preacher I used to go to church. He was one of them overly judgmental, mean-spirited dudes. He used to say, would you watch that movie if God was in the room with you? Think about this. Would you listen to that song if God was in the room with you? Would you tell that joke if God was in? And I'm thinking, does he know God is in the room? What kind of book is he reading? God is in the room. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding both the good and the evil. I thank God. I tell people, because here's the reality. If you ever do anything right in your life, if you ever get saved for real, you are going to have haters. Because haterade is free. And people would drink it all day long and give you a cup. <laughs> Jesus said, marvel not if the world hates you, they hated me first. If you ever do anything 
You get saved at all. You're going to have built-in haters coming, pouring haterade all over you, and you can just rejoice in knowing God sees. God sees everything. And that's why I tell people, I didn't drive 3,000 miles across country to start a church where nobody knows me, pretending to be somebody I'm not. There ain't a restaurant I go to in this city that somebody come up to me and ask and, and, and greet me, talk to me. We can't go into Walmart without five people coming up to me. I can't go into a restaurant on the west side. I grew up on the west side of Jacksonville. I went to Joseph Stilwell Junior High School. I went to Ed White High School. I'm, I am who I am, and that's why I tell people, hey, you want to hate on me? Follow me for a week. Read the Bible, the Bible I read. Pray all the prayer. Listen, God sees, God knows. Listen, he knows our good and he knows our bad. Now, does that make you feel, hallelujah, praise the Lord? Uh, I mean, because some things, some things you say amen to, other things you have to say, oh, me. I mean, some things are glory, hallelujah, other things is ouch. Good news about ouch is God accepts people who repent. And it's always time to repent. Let's hear what the word says in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Now, this is Jeremiah. I don't have time to give you 17 chapters of context and background, but I've told you before that modern-day prophecy, usually these people who claim to be prophets in this generation are saying, God has seen your effort, and he's about to bless you. Your ship's about to come in. You might be the janitor now, but you're about to be the CEO. And it's always about how this, you know, your lottery tickets come in, and God's about to rain down money and goodness on you. But in the Bible, prophets had one thing they prophesied. It was one concept. It was a word that we should understand. They talked about a word that starts with J and ends with judgment. Can anybody guess what that word is? <laughs> judgment. That's what prophets did. They came and said, this is what's wrong, and judgment is coming. Lest you repent. That's what prophets do. So here, this is what the Lord says. So Jeremiah is prophesying. And he said, cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans. Now, without knowing or giving you the background of all these chapters, without looking up the Hebrew word for cursed, you think that's something you want to be or something you don't want to be? You don't even have to be a Bible genius to know that. When God says there's a group of people that are cursed, you don't want to be in that. Do you want to be in that? Yes or no? Do like this. No. Those people that put their trust in mere humans. Do you, do you know what the difference b between a human and a mere human is? None. All humans are mere humans. There are no superhumans. There's no, it's like people say, well, you shouldn't do that. You're supposed to be a pastor. I got the same answer for all of them. I'm, no, I am a pastor. I'm not supposed to be. It says it on my business card. My tax returns say pastor. I, 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 have, I have a ministerial uh, obligation to the IRS based on being a pastor. I'm not supposed to be. But, you know, if you live for Christ long enough, you're going to have people come up to you and say, I thought you was a Christian. You're supposed to be saved. Well, everybody at some point was lost before they got saved. I was a human before I was a Christian. And I was a human before I was a pastor. We all have faults. We all have frailties. We all have sins. We all have issues that's why people who put their pastors, their leaders, or themselves up on pedestals 
your friends, your parents, your grandparents, your idols, you are in for, listen, disappointment. Why? Because the Bible already told us the arm of the flesh will fail you. The Bible already told us people are wicked. But you know it's easy to believe in people you love. And you're supposed to believe in people you love. The Bible says love doesn't believe any evil report. The Bible says love always thinks the best of others. You find people that just always believe every drip of gossip they hear, I'll show you an evil person. Okay, but we can't put our trust in human beings. It goes on to say that this cursed crowd are people who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. You know, there are ministers in this world building up uh, kingdoms unto themselves. You, you see these dudes got their face on the side of every van the church owns, got their face on every billboard, got their name 15 times on the letterhead, name of the ministries named after them. Can't, can't you just see us now? We changed the name of, of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship to Scott C. Becker Ministries. Leave. One of my early mentors in Christ told me, never trust a ministry that is named after a human being. And then when he got fired from the ministry he was working with, he, he changed the name of his, his business card, now says his name, Evangelistic Ministries. I don't want to call him out because these messages go out for free around the world. But there are people out there who want their church to look at them on a pedestal. I'm telling y'all from day one, if you're going to love me, you're going to love me in spite of me because I'm going to let you down. I'm going to fail you because I'm a human being. I'm a mere human being. We are not here to trust in anybody but God. God is who is our standard. Don't look at the deacons in this church and think they're anything other than mere human beings. Don't look at the people on this worship stage and, and wish, oh, if I could only be a Christian like them. Listen. Almost every service, before I was in church, I was in a meeting with somebody in my office, ran past 7 o'clock, nothing I could do about it. People have needs, people have issues, they want to talk to the preacher, and it's always, Pastor, can I just get two minutes? Y'all know what that means. It ain't two minutes. After church tonight, there'll be somebody in my office be talking. Listen, people saying, oh, I just wish I could be a Christian like her. Ah, you don't know her like that. You don't know him like that. They got issues too. You be the best Christian you can be. You be the man, the woman God called you to be. Don't compare. The Bible says when you compare yourselves to yourselves, you become unwise. Another translation says it's foolish to measure yourself against humans. <laughs> I mean, come on now. You, you might feel like you, you, Andrew thinks he's fast. He's not that fast. He thinks he's You think you're fast, don't you, son? You think you're fast? He's all right. He's trying to be humble, you know, because he's hoping God will bless him. He don't want to argue with the preacher. But he thinks he's fast. You, compared to them old men you play softball with, are you faster than them? Yeah, he don't hesitate about that. Are you faster than this old deacon daddy you got on the front row? Yeah, he don't hesitate. He thinks he's fast. And he's, he's okay fast. But you know what he looked like running between Usain Bolt and Justin Gatlin? Like he was tied to a stump. They, they put him in a 200-yard dash. They, Justin Gatlin and Usain Bolt would be making a ham sandwich after the interview. He'd be standing up off the blocks. 
See, if, if you compare him to his 50-plus-year-old father who works 79 hours a day dragging lumber around, he might, don't, don't swear, he might just man up one day and beat you in a foot race, though. He said, maybe. Don't get on his nerves. Hey, if he punches you before the race, he, he, <laughs> well, I didn't say what the first event was going to be. If you compare, you can say I'm fast. If you talk about old fat people, you might be fast to them. You can say I'm a great Christian if you're talking about schemy, slimy, two-faced jokers. But if you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our example, you better not have any pride in your mouth at that point. You'd be just like every other human that ever recognized who God is. You would say, woe is me. For I'm a sinful person, and I need Christ. The Bible says all have sinned, and that's why you got to be careful. Because it does hurt. Now listen, when people you love, people you trust, stab you in the back, it does hurt. When people that you care about, that you've loved on, that you've done right by, that you thought had you. Man, I'm so tired of scheming folk. People talk about keeping it 100. You can't even spell 100. People keeping it how they want to keep it. And you have to be careful. Now, I'm not saying just, you know, walk around jaded and suspect the worst out of everybody. But I'm saying realize this. The only person that you can truly trust beyond measure is the Lord. See, if you go into life knowing my only hope is really in God and I'm going to love people after they fail me, it prepares you better. You say, Pastor, that just sounds negative. No, that, that's real. Because even David, when David got betrayed, he said, just what you're feeling, if it was an enemy who had done this to me, I could have borne it. But it was my own familiar friend. It was a person I took counsel together. We, we were there for each other. And you did this to me. And that hurts. Anybody agree with that? It does. It hurts. But the Lord is there, and the Lord sees. Listen to what the Word says. People that put too much trust in humans, who rely on human strength, so much so that they, they start looking at people and not at God, that's what it means to turn their hearts away from the Lord. It doesn't mean they became drug dealers and evil. It means that they started trusting in human ability more than God. See, the biggest difference between... Uh, when, maybe not the biggest difference, but the biggest difference spiritually between David and Saul was Saul trusted in his ability, and David trusted in the Lord. David was just a bigger pervert as Saul was. David had at least eight wives that we know of. David was a murderer. David was screwing people he wasn't married to. David was, you know, he was treacherous. His family was all jammed up. He was running and hiding in caves like a coward. He was also a valiant, mighty warrior and worshiper. I mean, just depending on what side you wanted to tell about him. But Saul was, the Bible says, head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was bigger. He was stronger. He was more capable than anyone else. And there are certain people who are so capable that they begin to rely on their ability. And that's when you get in trouble. Because the Bible says the biggest sin David did was not Bathsheba. The biggest sin David did was not Uriah. The biggest sin David did was not Saul. The biggest sin David did was when he counted the people. 
Now there's no, and I know pastors right now that won't count how many people are in church based on that one scripture. That's not the focus. The focus was David was going to battle and he was scared that he didn't have enough men to fight against an army that he was going to fight against. So he said, tell me how many soldiers I got to go up against these people. When in the previous days, he didn't care. He just stepped out and said, the Lord's on my side. Who are you? David, it wasn't the counting, it was the confidence. David lost confidence in God and put confidence in how many people he had on his side. Don't start looking at how successful someone is. Don't start looking at how good a job somebody can do. Don't start looking at how capable and able somebody is. Realize if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, we would all fail. Don't turn your heart away from the Lord. That doesn't mean you become evil. That means you lost confidence in what your hope should be. Verse 6 says, they're like stunning shrubs in the desert. No hope for the future. Do you realize if you're, if you're a damaged shrub in the desert, you, you don't have a long life expectancy? If, if, if you're not healthy in, in, in drought season, that's just trouble. That, that plant is not going to survive. All of us as human beings are damaged. And we all have seasons of drought. And if you go into a drought season... Damaged without your eyes on the Lord, you are going to be hurt so severely. You may struggle to get through it. Verse 17 says, but we got a transition coming here. Sometimes but bringing bad news. This time it's bringing good news. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. I was never a huge Jimmy Swaggart fan. Jimmy Swaggart, when he fell the first time, was the number one most listened to preacher around the world, both on television and radio. He was the most broadcast human being on television and radio around the world, Jimmy Swagger, singing and preaching. He, he was doing, I wasn't a big Jimmy Swagger fan. Mine, his theology don't mirror each other. But when I saw the church come out with fangs out on this man, I began to pray every day for Jimmy Swagger, that God, would pour love out on him, that God would bring people around him to love him and to recover him and to help him know that there are Christians who still love him. Why? You might not remember it, but I heard preachers and I heard church people saying, I knew he was fake. I'm glad he's getting what he deserved. I knew it. I could tell. I never liked him. I thought, man, that's how you talk about a brother in Christ? What if your worst deed got blown up on the big screen? What if your lowest moment in life got told to everybody? You really want to go around judging and saying, I knew he was fake. Listen, David, way better man than me. Because he said to God, judge me according to my deeds and reward me according to, to what I've done. That ain't never been Scott Becker's prayer. My prayers have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. And reward me according to your mercy and loving kindness. Give me grace. Give me mercy over justice and judgment. Same thing about the other dude, Jim Baker. We're never a big Jim Baker fan. Until he went into his problem. And the whole church came out hating on him. Showing gladness at his pain. I knew he was a, how did you know he was a phony? How ain't you a phony? The Bible, I love the King James Version. 
I read y'all out of New Living because it shortens preaching. I don't have to explain every word to you. Uh, when I preach King James only, I realize I'm spending time explaining to people what a paramour is. I could have just read it in a New Living and it says sex slave. Now I don't have to take 13 seconds to explain to you that a paramour is a sex slave. Isn't that nice? Solomon had a bunch of them. Different message, different crowd. But the King James Version says everyone is an hypocrite. Well, that's funny to me because in the English language now, in 2016, and in our whole lifetime, you, instead of saying a egg, you say an egg. Why? Because it starts with a vowel. Well, in Old English, if it started with an H, they used an. They didn't say everyone is a hypocrite, which is what we would say now. But in the 1600s, they said everyone is an hypocrite. Well, English lesson for you for free. But I love the grammar of it. But I also see the truth in it. Do you know everybody's a hypocrite? I mean, you could look at your friend who let you down and say, well, I never knew it, but they're hypocrites. Well, if you really want to find somebody that's a hypocrite for sure, that you don't have to guess on, that you can really say, I know that person is a hypocrite for sure, look in the mirror. There's a hypocrite looking back for sure. Because the Bible says everyone is a hypocrite. That's why we, God blesses us when we trust in the Lord. Now, in the original context of the grammar, it, it implies only or at the highest level. You, you, you got to trust your friends. You got to trust your spouse. You got to trust people that work for you, people that work with you, people that you work for. The Bible says you got to obey your spiritual leaders that minister word and doctrine to you. You got to trust your preacher at some level, but you got to know he's not the standard. Okay, so this is talking about blessed are those who trust ultimately in the Lord and have made the Lord their highest hope and highest confidence. They, this is the blessed crowd, this is who you want to be, they're like trees planted along a riverbank. With roots that reach deep into the water. Now this is cool because it's being talked to people who live in a desert. And even still today, waterfront land is more expensive than regular dirt. You want to buy? Listen, I remember that house I sold Deacon Jimmy years ago. He moved out of it since then. But when Gail and I picked that lot out, it was on a uh, retention pond. That's a man-made ditch to gather mosquitoes and water. $4,000 extra. It's waterfront. They added $4,000 to our price on that house because we had ditch water behind the house, dragging up snakes and mosquitoes. Waterfront land's always been more expensive. This is being written to a bunch of people that live in the desert. And they were like, wow, I wish I had a riverbank to plant my trees. God says you can be just like one of those trees. The healthiest trees are close to the water, especially in this, in this culture. They got roots that reach deep down into the water. What's special about those? The scripture says such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green, and they never stop producing fruit. And see, that's the cool kind of tree to be. And even as Jesus taught first natural, then spiritual, he talked to farmers in agricultural terms to get them to understand spiritual truths. This is the same thing Jeremiah was doing thousands of years ago. He was talking to people who lived in an agricultural community in a first natural, then spiritual concept, understanding if I can get you to see a picture of this in the natural, maybe your mind can make a connection to it in the spiritual. He's saying that there are shrubs, let's just guess, 
It's Wednesday night Bible study, interactive, open discussion. What do you think is bigger, a shrub or a tree? Tree. What do you think stronger, a shrub or a tree? In this teaching scenario, what do you think is better to be, a shrub or a tree? Better to be a tree than a shrub, especially a tree that is planted by the water. And listen to how special this tree is. Its leaves stay green, and it never stops producing fruit. Now, he's not trying to get you to think about trees. He's trying to get you to think about people. There's a group of people who are dry and barren and struggling. That's shrub folk. That's people who let mere humans mess up their hope. Listen, I understand about being let down. I've been stabbed in the back by more people than you can imagine. I, I, I was abandoned by my father all the way through until this very week. Got people hating on me on social media telling lies. I, under, I understand being stabbed in the back. But I also know that God knows the whole truth. That barren shrub, it's going to struggle to make it if it makes it at all. That tree planted by the river, its leaves never stop being green. And it always produces fruit. What's it say? It stays strong. It stays healthy even in a drought. How can you stay strong and how can you stay healthy even in a drought? How can you stay strong and healthy when life is bottoming out? How can you stay strong and healthy when, when the job's not going right, when, when the money is funny, when everybody around you is busted, disgusted, and can't be trusted? When, how can you stay strong and fruitful when you are going through a bad season? Because you got your eyes on God. Because old song we used to sing, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. There's no failure in Christ. The psalmist said, even if mama and daddy turned their back on me, I got God. This is where we need to live. This is the only way to be an evergreen. This is the only way to stay strong in a difficult season. This is the only way to be a real fruit producer. And then verse 9, boy, the, just, just the core of the apple. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. This ain't talking about just drug dealers, hookers and hoes, pimps, prostitutes. This ain't just talking about murderers and child molesters. This is talking about the human heart. You know what kind of heart you have? A human heart. Red, yellow, black, white, young, old, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, north, south, east, west, American, African, Egyptian, Mongolian. Your heart is human. And the human heart is wicked. Mother Teresa had a human heart. Billy Graham has a human heart. T.D. Jakes has a human heart. Scott Becker has a human heart. Charles Manson has a human heart. Genghis Khan has a human heart. And the Pope has a human heart. The Apostle Paul had a human heart. Jeremiah had a human heart. All the same, wicked. Say wicked. That's what the human heart is. One version says the heart is deceitfully wicked beyond all imagination. You cannot know it. You can't know how bad people are. You put your confidence in human beings. They got a human heart. And the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. That's bad. Well, I mean, most deceitful of all things. More than liars, the human heart. 
More than murderers, the human heart. More than everything bad you can compare to it, the human heart. It's the most deceitful of all things. See, that's why, not because it was great singing, although it was, not because it was great musicianship, although it was, but the song that stuck in everybody's mind, I would say from my generation, but I was telling the staff yesterday in staff meeting, sitting in a restaurant, they're still playing songs from the 70s. There must not have been no good music come out since I got saved. <laughs> right, Ken? I mean, every restaurant you go to, they're still playing music from the 70s, 80s at best. They ain't left Madonna or Michael alone yet. But the song is stuck in everybody's mind. They smile in your face. Why? Because all the time they want to take your place. They're backstabbing. Why? Because that's what the human heart's about. Backstabbing. Backstabbing. Oh, not my friend, Pastor. Oh, no, you don't know. We, we, we down like four flat tires on the Lexus. We got each other's back. We keep it so real. It's just, I mean, it's real and a real deal. Holy fit. We are so tight. Air can't get between us. The human heart is wicked beyond all imagination. I'm not saying walk around jaded. I'm saying give people a break. I'm not saying walk around with a skepticism in your mind. I'm saying give people a break. Now, you know that if Andrew, who played on a co-ed softball team, raise your hand, Andrew, with Stacy, raise your hand, Stacy, if they had a foot race, Around the bases, Andrew's laughing. Don't fall on the floor, son. Don't just, I mean, yeah. everybody on the team expects him to win. And everybody who's watched them play will be applauding if Stacy made it around all three bags to home plate without falling down. Question, coach Has she ever fallen? Ever? <laughs> All right. Here's what I'm saying. Lower your expectation. I'm not saying walk around jaded. I'm saying give a brother a break. Stop expecting people to be as fast as Usain Bolt. Stop expecting people to be as graceful as Gregory Hines. Stop expecting people to be as perfect as Jesus Christ. It just don't exist that way. People have deficiencies. Know that going into the game. That's why, that's why I let you know about me. When Gail was alive, she used to say, babe, don't tell everybody all those stories. You make yourself sound like a jacked-up idiot. People are going to think you can't tie your shoes and walk straight. I'm like, I want them to know I'm imperfect. Because if they can see that God can use somebody as, as bad as me, they can have hope that God can use them too. So all of us need to be transparent. All of us need to admit and accept the fact that we're all weak and have issues. Why? We started from a deficiency. You can't expect me to outrun Usain Bolt. I had back surgery last year. I'm 53 years old. I am 55 pounds heavier than the day I came out of basic training. Now, I gave him a run for his money in basic training. I'd have hit him with a clothesline and dropped him and ran. 
big old brother like that chasing me. Yeah, I'd probably be scared to run fast enough to get away. But stop expecting so much out of people. That's why I read these little 14-year-old girls, these young kids, boys, and teenagers on Facebook. My friends are my life. If you don't believe me, try somebody. Till next year or later, second nine weeks. That lying skank stole my man. I thought you was killing for her. I thought y'all was down. Wasn't nobody closer than you and him. That's boo. That's bae. What happened? Didn't work out that way. Why? Because nobody's perfect but the Lord. I tell people in every premarital council session I go to, here's going to be your number one salvation, especially ladies. You lower your expectation on that dude. He's a man. He's got a one-track mind. It's only good for hunting. <laughs> men, are, men, men, men only know conquering. Men were built by God to be mountain climbers and dragon slayers, to go out and kill the beast and drag it home. And if they didn't get applauded and congratulated, they grab that beast and drag it to a different cave and say, uh. And if she clapped for him, he's like, yeah, that's where I live now. <laughs> Men are smiling because they know that's right. Woman vacuumed the whole house, dust, cleaned the dishes, changed the sheets on the bed, cooked, cleaned, make, make lunches for tomorrow, never say a word about it. Man vacuums the den. Is there a parade? What, what is going on here? You see that vacuuming? Am I right? You see that vacuuming? No, a man did that. See them lines like that? I'd vacuum that. The women are like, what, you want a parade? Yeah. You didn't hear me? I, I pushed the vacuum cleaner. What are we talking about here? Lower your expectations. I'm not saying walk around thinking nothing of people. But I'm saying you put people on a pedestal, you're going to be in for some undue heartache. Why? Because every one of us has a human heart, and we are all capable of some really jammed up stuff. Rhetorical question in verse 9 says, who really knows how bad it is? That's not a question that an answer is expected. The answer is implied. You can't even imagine how bad. You take your eyes off God, Mother Teresa, turn into Jack the Ripper. You take whoever your favorite, most holy Christian in the world is, one second away from God, they're right back to doing dirt. Verse 10 says, but I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. That's the good news and the bad news. I'm already five minutes, seven minutes over. Let me finish with this. The good news and the bad news is God sees everything. That's great news for people who really read their Bible. That's great news for people who really pray on their knees when nobody's watching. You know, so many people have said it, it's, it's hard to give credit to the whoever said it. But, you know, character is best seen when no one's watching. Character is what you do when nobody's watching. That's what integrity is about. If you only act right when people are watching, you don't have character. You don't have integrity. But if you do the right thing when no one's watching, you need to understand God is watching. God says, I give all people their due rewards. The psalmist 
<laughs> he was upset because, you know, people were getting over and he was struggling. And he said, why is it right, God? These people are being blessed and they hate you. I'm doing my best and I'm going through hell by the acre. Why? And God had to let him know, I'm keeping track. God has told us from day one, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't have to revenge nobody. You don't have to grudge hold anybody. You have to forgive everybody, Jesus said. No God's keeping a record. I'll rush through this story so you may not get it. But there was an old missionary couple coming home from a plane on the mission field that they had been on in South Africa for 40 years. They had buried three children over there. All of their children died serving the Lord in the mission field. They never had grandchildren. They gave their whole life to serving the Lord. They stayed over there and buried their kids there. And they were finally retiring and coming back to America. And they were flying home on a plane with some World War II vets on it that were coming home from a 18-month military stay in the war. And they were flying home, and as they landed, they came down taxiing into the airport. First time they'd been on American soil in four decades, and they saw bands and parades and banners, welcome home, GI, we love you. God bless America. And there were people standing by the thousands to welcome home these military men. And we see this in Jacksonville. Guys go away on a six-month deployment, wives, grandmothers, mothers, uh, babies. They, they line up. They've got signs, welcome home. And the old man just began to shake his head, and his wife said, what's wrong, baby? He said, I respect these men that we're flying with, but I don't understand. They've only been gone away for just a few months, and there are all these parades, and there are all these banners, and there are all these people here to welcome them and to brag on them for what they've done, congratulating them for their service of 18 months. As they come home, they have this big welcome party and this parade, and it just doesn't feel right to me. There's not one person here for us. There's no parade. There's no music. There's no banner. We don't have a friend in this country. Our children are dead. And we're going to get off this plane, and we're going to walk into there, and there's nobody here to receive us. And it just feels weird to come home to nothing while these men are coming home to a parade. And the wise old missionary lady leaned over and she said, Honey, remember this. We're not home yet. There's going to be a day when you go home that there's going to be somebody to receive you. And you're not going to have to wonder why your struggle was what it was and why your journey was what it was. And you're going to be able to understand on then, if you can't understand what Paul knew now, that I reckon the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in the next life. So take heart, Christian. You're not home yet. And God sees everything. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Do the right thing. Read your Bible. Say your prayers. Make good choices. Because God's going to give everybody, all people, their due rewards. According to what their actions deserve.
Release people and forgive. Live holy. Live right. Make your heavenly father proud of you. So when you get home, he'll be standing there to welcome you and tell you, well done. Pray with me, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for always knowing. Thank you, God, that while other people see what they see, you see the heart, you see the motives, you see the truth. God, I pray you'd strengthen the heart of your children. God, I pray that you'd give encouragement where it's needed, strengthen hope for the hurting. Help us, God, to reflect your love and your goodness everywhere we go. Thank you for life. Thank you for salvation, healing, and deliverance. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that you'd give us a hunger for righteousness, a thirst for your word, God. Teach us to stay in your presence. Let us do in the secret place what other people do in the marketplace. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org. Until next time, we pray that you will live abundantly.